Matthias, let's just take a second to talk about our Patreon channel. Obviously, a lot of people love the show, and we get a lot of messages from people asking us how to uh, support us and help us grow the podcast. Now, Patreon is obviously, without doubt, the best way to do it. It really helps us grow the show, helps us pay people who help us out, helps us you know, keep shining the job, the, the editor behind the scenes. Um, why do you, want to, do you want to just let people know what they get, some of the perks? Yeah, I mean, we offer so many interesting extra things for Patreons. So we, we have a bonus episode, um, we do Q&As, and we're also looking into other ways of like getting um, our Patreon supporters special access to some of my um, very deep and fantastic knowledge and such things. Yeah, you're wanting to introduce some, uh, not one-on-one, but small small group lectures on specific subjects, which I think would be amazing. Patrons would absolutely love that. I would absolutely love that. You know, half an hour topic of you just ranting without me interrupting on a subject <laughs> has to be has to be perfect. You know, who's not going to, to love that? Yeah, yeah. Like things, you know, we talk about on the podcast, maybe like we mentioned something about Viking ships or something that has to do with the mythology and, and people want to know more about that. And then we can like dig deep into that for like 30 minutes in a, in, in a short lecture. I think a lot of people would find that very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, let's not forget anybody who signs up to the Patreon at any level is going to get a bonus episode every week. Um, it's either going to be the story time episode that we do with Jonas Lorenzen which you have to agree with is, is one of the funniest times you must have all week. It is brilliant. He does. It is amazing. Good job. <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> it is. And then the other, the other episode, we're still undecided hundred percent on what it, it's going to be, but it looks like it's going to be a conversational type episode where me and Mateus just get a little bit more personal about ourselves, but also we're going to get, let people have the chance to ask questions, Q and a, whether it's about the podcast or about us. And um, you're going to be able to put your question to us through Patreon then we're going to have a, a little bonus episode where we explore those and people get a little bit more interactive with those, which I think would be fun for the, for the fans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I feel like I'm seeing with our audience is that they really like to be interactive with us. So we're trying to offer as many opportunities on our platform to do that outside of social media otherwise because that, that can get a little little much sometimes <laughs> yeah there we go i mean honestly if you just jump over to uh patreon forward slash naughty mythology podcast you can have a look at all the different tiers we've got there they start from five dollars up to twenty dollars and you can cancel at any point you can try it out for a month listen to the old episodes listen to the old story time episodes cancel if you don't enjoy it and and there we go. But we were more than sure confident that you'll uh, you'll like what you hear. So it says, thus it says in Vulaspa, in the east lives the old one. In ironwood and breeds their Fenris kind. Out of them comes one particular, sons, sons snatcher in trolls' guise. He gorges the life of doomed men, reddens God's halls with red gore, dark in sunshine for summers after all weathers hostile. Uh, know you yet or what? So I wouldn't, I was just wondering whether it was to do with the weather being shitter, <laughs> whether it was whether they had the same kind of thing as we had over here it's on 
So you read it. Have you got the same one that I've pitched? So the, the, uh, this is just where um, they're asked, what is the origin of wolves? Right? Gangleri asks, uh, what is the origin of wolves? And Hai said, a certain giantess lives east of Midgard in a forest called Ironwood. In that forest live troll wives called Jarnvidjurs. Uh, the ancient giant has breeds as sons, many giants, and all in wolf shapes. Blah, 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 blah. And then comes the quote after that. It was just the, the part where it says, all, you know, all weather's hostile. And it just reminded me of that saying that we have in the mm -hmm. UK of, of like, red sky in a morning. This is a reference to the Thimbulwetter, the, the, the three seasons long winter. And like it's it's so the origin of this this stanza is is um, in in the Poetigeta in Bertelsfeld, where okay. where it's all about Ragnarok. It, it like Snorri he takes Bertelsfeld as poem and then he uses it wherever he wants to. That's what he's doing in this text. So he just like mashes it all together regardless of where it comes from. So. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being smart. Fuck. But you weren't being unsmart either. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I thought I was onto something. Um, well, there's a nice intro to the to the episode. So this is not <laughs> this is an audio mythology podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, the unsmart co-corner of Horns of Odin. And I'm joined as always by Dr. Matthias Nordvik. Hello, everybody. I can hear that Dan is trying to rebrand himself from Dick Biter to <laughs> the Unsmart. No, no, we're not carrying that on because <laughs> this, the, the, <laughs> for anybody listening, a, a few episodes ago, somebody asked, I can't remember, was it in the main show or was it in the, it might be in one of our Patreon Q&As, somebody asked what our um viking names would be i can't remember what Matthias was for some reason mine i for whatever unknown reason said i would it be was because it was because the question came up how would you defend yourself and some we were in a conversation about that and <laughs> would you defend yourself by biting somebody's dick and then you were like i'd, I'd bite somebody's dick if i that meant that i'd survive and that's how you got the name dick biter <laughs> i'm so i'm so glad that everybody remembers is better than me um, <laughs> so somehow yeah I, which I, I stand by if if the situation arose where it was me or them and i was faced with biting a dick or not and it was a life or death situation om nom nom that's all I've got to say. I mean, I don't think anybody can blame you for that. <laughs> like, uh, I, so, I probably do the same. <laughs> so, so, the nickname happened apparently, but now it just will not disappear. It, it, for anybody who isn't in our Facebook group, why not? But head over to Facebook and join the Naughty Mythology Podcast Facebook group because uh, there is an abundance of memes and dick biter based memes and now somebody bought the url of of or the domain domain name dickbiter.com which now forwards <laughs> to our website um so <laughs> it's it just it will not disappear and i don't know perfect 
So I'm going to try and rebrand myself as. I, I hope I hope that somebody will buy the the domain name True Norse and have that forward as well. And anything, I'm just happy that they're they've moved away from the memes about Norse to the memes about Dick Biden instead. I know, I know. You took that. You did have it for a while for for your Norse must not Norse must die, but everyone your Norse rants. Um, yes. And now I'm feeling the heat. No, you. Uh, yeah, you are. <laughs> I, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's funny. That's what it is. <laughs> it is funny. Thankfully, I've got a good sense of humor, and I, I find it funny. Um, but when somebody bought the t- domain um, digbiter.com, I did. <laughs> I I wasn't a hundred percent sure on how to take that one. That one, I I was not unsettled, but I I could see the funny side of it. But I was a little bit like, all right. That's it's next level pranking. I like it. It is. It's good. Yeah. Oh, it is. I, I definitely see the humor by it. Um, all right. We we were meant to be joined by Brian Marshall, also who's known as Where the Gods Lives. He's a horn carver. Unfortunately, he kind of had to cancel last minute. So we are going to throw together an episode based on Mateus's knowledge and me just sitting here. And asking questions. Um, it's going to be a train wreck. Oh no, it won't be. About as much of a train wreck as that first five minute segment about me being called Dick Biter. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but before we do, I have a, a few sh- thank yous to, to shout out because I've been re- receiving gifts left, right, and center. Um, so I, I apologize to you, Mateus, that people aren't sending you gifts. Um, <laughs> but what can I say? I must just engage with people that want to send me random presents. Yeah, you're just um, more charming than me. That's maybe. it. Maybe. No, the yeah. first one is after we had Christian on uh, Art for Valhalla, the, the shield maker. Shield maker. Go back and listen to that one. We, we'd been speaking a while about making the horns of Odin shield, and you can see it over my shoulder here, um, and it is a, an absolute work of art. It's Yeah, he's done a really amazing job on it. So everybody go and follow Art for Valhalla on Instagram. Christian makes some absolutely beautiful shields. Um, and thank you very much for this one. And Matthias, you'll have to ask nicely and he might hook you up. <laughs> hey, maybe if I get my shit together and get the stuff that I need to send him, sent to him, then maybe, um, then maybe he would. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I appreciate on the back on the back side of this, he's he found the the Farand uh, coat of arms that I didn't even know existed, and he's like carved that into the to the back of it. Um, yeah, he's obviously taken a lot of time. I, I really do appreciate it. But then on to my favorite gift, which arrived today. Well, two gifts two gifts arrived today, C- completely out of the blue. Did not know they were coming. Um, I guess that's the wonders of having your business address on online. People can just send you stuff, apparently. Uh, one was a bottle of whiskey, which was very pleasant. Um, I, that one that one I knew was coming. It was from a gentleman called Gregory. He asked if he could send me a bottle of whiskey because he enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I'm just guessing the shipping's too much to send it to you, Mateus. So. It's 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 okay. I, I have been offered bottles of whiskey before, and I actually turned them down because I... I, I feel it's a little much. That shows the difference. Very, in carrying, I guess shows so. the difference in character between me and you, doesn't it? I guess so. I'm like, okay. I, mean, I, I think it's a great gesture. I, I'm just like, 
you don't have to spend that much money on me. <laughs> I, to be fair, I did say you don't have to. However, here, here is where you can find the address. Should you, should you decide to? There you go. Um, question. What kind of whiskey is it? Uh, it's Highland Park. Nice. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not, that's not a cheap whiskey either. That is not we're, a cheap whiskey at all. We're doing something, right? And the second one, which is by far the most random thing I've ever received in my life. And I forgot to bring it home with me. So it's, it's at work. I, <laughs> I turned up to work and there was a, a little parcel on, my, on the carving desk. Because I was like, I have no idea what that is. I was like, I don't know. It's come from Canada, all the way from Canada. Opened it up, and inside, a little CD. Now, I haven't had a CD in a fucking long time. I don't even have a CD player anymore. Can you guess what the CD is? What is it, a mixtape of love songs? Oh, no. It's Usher Confessions. <laughs> so <laughs> somebody <laughs> has bought, found Usher Confessions, probably in the bargain bin, in Canada somewhere, and then taking the time to wrap it with a nice little note saying, "If you little note saying, if you know, you know. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for the podcast." And then posted it halfway around the world for me, out of the blue. That is that is wonderful. That is love right there. That that I you know I appreciate that more than the shield because it's just good fun. <laughs> No, I don't. I, I appreciate the shield a lot more. Um, <laughs> but for anyone who doesn't know, go back and listen to our our episode with Shane Smith, where you can hear me confess my appreciation for Usher, the song Usher Confession Part Two, which nobody else or everybody else pretends that they don't know, but really they do. Um, I I cannot. I, I can vaguely remember what Usher looks like from back in the nineties and maybe he would like wear an all all yellow track suit in one video i can't remember that's it that's all i remember about that guy maybe maybe no it's i do fair i i i'm very appreciative of the cd it made me laugh earlier it was uh it was a good good thing to receive um so yeah anybody who wants to send send presents you've got something to beat now all right let's get into the actual episode um, and stop filling time because we don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> hey, what are you talking about? We, we have a whole creation myth here. No, we do. Um, this has been something I've been wanting to talk about for a while, actually. I'm quite glad that we, we get a chance to because you give me a bunch of books to read and I very rarely read them. But I did actually start reading Snorri's Edda. And then as we as I was going through the creation myth, uh, my mind was boggled at how <laughs> bonkers it actually is. And I just messaged you instantly and be like, we need to talk about this. We we need to talk about the, the armpits, the cow, the the, the, <laughs> the people. The armpits and the cow, yeah. The, yeah, the dwarves holding up the sky. Mm-hmm. All of it. We need to talk about all of it. Yes, yes, we definitely do. Um, yeah. But before we do that, we need to talk about the creation myth that came before the one that Snowy is giving us. The creation, Actually, the creation myth. Myths. Yes. Yes, because there are two other creation myths. Or that's not exactly correct. What what there are are references to cre- creation myths in the Eddic poems. So we have 
we have the prophecy of the Sira, so Virtual Spell, that refers to the creation of the world um, in the beginning of the poem. And then we have the poems Vaftunia sayings and Grimnia sayings, or Vatunismal and Grimnismal, that also briefly refer to creation stories. And Snorristotelson uses them and then a bunch of other material when he writes his creation story. And it is Snorristotelson's creation story that most people would know, at least partially. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a lot more complicated. There's like, you know, different references. So let me just like um, quickly throw in what, what does the vulva in the prophecy of the Sirius actually tell us about how the world is created? Okay. So <clears throat> what does this story tell us? Well, it goes um, early in time. This is Caroline Larrington's uh, version uh, or translation. Early in time, Emia made his settlement. There was no sand or sea or cool waves. Earth uh, was nowhere nor the sky above. A void of yawning chaos. Grass was there nowhere. Before the sons of Bor brought up the land surface, those who shaped glorious Midgard. The sun shone from the south on the stone hall. Then the ground was grown over with the green leek. From the south, sun, companion of the moon, threw her right hand around the sky's edge. Sun did not know where she had her hall. The stars did not know where they had their stations. The moon did not know what might he had. Then all the powers went to the thrones of fate, the sacrosanct gods, and considered this. Tonight and her children, they gave names, morning they named, and midday, afternoon and evening to reckon up in years. Okay, so what is happening here is, first of all, we learn that there is a figure, some kind of being named Emir, who apparently makes his settlement. Um, that's a weird reference, um, especially when we know how Emia in other contexts is like, you know, cut into pieces and becomes the world. But that we will get to that in a second. So, so, so there's this figure called Emia who exists, and then there's no sea, no 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 sand, no cool waves, no earth, nothing. There was no sky, nothing at all. Right? There was a yawning chaos or ginungaka as it is called in the Old Norse, which is a word that is difficult to translate. It probably means something like the void of uh, magic or the vast void. It can, there, there are different suggestions to how you can translate that word. And then we are told that the sons of Bur, they bring up or raise some kind of land surface and then we're told that they create or shape Midgard. And then after that, the sun starts shining on Midgard and it grows with green leek. And what green leek is, is a good question. Probably just like a re- general reference to green stuff, like trees and plants and stuff started growing. And then after that, there seems to be some kind of chaos when it comes to like the celestial bodies, the sun and the moon, they don't really know what they're doing. And that's when the gods then sit down on their thrones of fate, as Larrington tra- uh, chooses to translate them. Um, it's the Röckstolar, so that really means the, the 
the the the thrones or the, the chairs from which they reign or rule. Um, these sacrosanct gods, Gin Haile Goth, um, and then they give names to to parts of the day and all that stuff. And so that suggests that by giving names to parts of the day and parts of the night, they're literally like putting you know the the sun and the moon's uh, courses over the sky in order, right? Right. And boom, there you have it. That's the creation of the cosmos in this version. There's a couple of things to note. That's that not is, as fun as Snorri's. That is not as fun as Snorri's, first of all. Secondly, Emir has no role except he's just there. Like we're not, we, we have to infer based off of what we know from other sources that Midgard is created from his body. The, the poem doesn't tell us that. It might refer to that, but it's not certain that it actually is, is exactly that that it refers to. Because we're also told that the sons of Boar bring up the land surface. And what the hell does that mean? And this is also like the, the original Old Norse is kind of complicated when it's uh, difficult to translate because it goes Bjordum um Uppdu. And it means that they, this, this, they raised the ground or something like that. What are they doing? Are they, is this like a cosmic creation story about lifting the world out of the ocean? Uh, that's, we know those kinds of stories from other uh, mythologies. Like for instance, in the Finnish mythology, you have a similar type of story in Kalevala. Um, we know similar types of stories from Native American mythologies. You know, they're, they're pretty common, actually, this idea that the world was created, for instance, by a bird, uh, some kind of water bird that uh, dives down and then picks up some mud and then, you know, places it on top of something um, that's floating in the ocean. And that's, for instance, like Native American mythologies often has that story where the world is built on top of the shield of a turtle um, who's like swimming around in the ocean, hence the, the reference to North America as Turtle Island. See, that's a, that's a cool story. That is a cool story. That's what I and could this, get behind. This could be a similar kind of story, but then it's like mixed with other uh, elements or something like that. So all in all, we're not entirely sure what the hell the reference is here. But I personally, I, I, I think that the idea that, that we are dealing with that type of creation myth here um, is likely. And that Emir, this reference to Emir who makes his settlement, that's not exactly what it actually says. He doesn't make his settlement. He, he's, uh, he's like, like the, 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 the reference is, is that he big he there and that could be built, but also lived. So he could just have lived, right? And these stories typically, as I said, there's the turtle in, in Native American mythology. Sometimes it's a female character, like in, um, in Finnish mythology. Um, sometimes it's a giant of some kind that on which the world is built. So this could be a reference to that. A story where the gods, they build the world for humans on top of some primordial giant that's hanging out in a primordial sea. Mm-hmm. That might be a reference, that reference here. Okay. To, to me, it just sounds like Emir's floating around in space, naked, with nothing around, and then his sons pop up from 
nowhere. I don't even know how does he have sons. I can't be the only person who who, who thinks logically about this. Okay, so creation myths are, are are seldomly particularly logical. Creation myths are always like, oh, uh, um, how was the world created? Yeah, you know what? There was like this giant, uh, and then there was this like these dudes over here, and they like put some mud on top of that giant, and that's what we're walking on. So yeah, yeah, that, that that's how it's worked out, right? Or there was like this uh, god that came out of nowhere, and then he. Uh, slayed a, a huge um crocodile and made the world from that you know like let's be honest mm. here it's like it's a situation where somebody is like like asking <laughs> like how was the world created and somebody pulls an answer out of their ass okay they well they need to do better because there's I've too many questions like what were his sons stood on to raise the the, the ground up were they just flying were they floating so yes yeah so, okay so 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 here's the second creation story that we have in the uh, the poetry um this is stances 40 and 41 of grimnia's sayings or grimnia's mouth it goes uh from emia's flesh the earth was made and from his blood the sea Mountains from his bones, trees from his hair, and from his skull, the sky. And from his eyelashes, the cheerful gods made Midgard for men's sons. And from his brain, the hard-tempered clouds were all created. Two stanzas basically giving you a sort of like detail of like the general elements of the world that come from the body of this primordial giant named Emia. Mm -hmm. So... You can see where Snorri is getting some of his ideas from here. Yes. So next level is, is Snorri's version, right? Okay. Where Snorri tries to make sense of all of this. And that is a major shit show. <laughs> so do you think he just takes these two, puts them together, and then just adds to it? Just kind of goes, okay, what else of this giant's body can we use to make stuff? So what Snorri has done before he wrote this, right, is that he has heard these two stories, right? He's definitely heard the poems uh, read or recited. He's also read them, it seems like. Also, by the way, just if anybody is wondering after our conversation with Bob, um, <clears throat> It might even have been Snurdy who wrote all this down, but it has been attributed to Snurdy. We don't actually know. Uh, yeah, because apparently we don't have his, ori his original copy. We have a copy of his version. Yeah. That is 100 years younger than his, and and it's the thing that says this was written by Snurdy Sturdison, but we don't know if it was. Oh, and by the way, in the middle of Snorri writing his, and the copy of the of his being written in right in the middle of that the the poetic editor is all yes. wrote down yes i feel like i'm <laughs> gonna fucking explode and start a fucking planet and a world and someone's gonna make a creation without me after my head explodes listening to this <laughs> i wouldn't blame you this is not easy to uh follow um 
And, so, and you know what? Somebody yeah. in somebody in the chat will be making a note of how many times I referred to myself as a god because somebody keeps <laughs> a, somebody keeps a track of that. <laughs> and apparently, that will be me referring to myself as a god exploding and creating <laughs> a civilization that people are going to look up to. The dick biter god. <laughs> in the beginning, there was a dick biter. I can see it now. In uh, <laughs> in a few hundred years, who knows? Okay. Do you do we want to do we want to hear the entirety of of Snurri's, um, uh, creation story? I think we sh- we should go through it, but not not have okay. you just read it front to back. You can read right. in it, and I'm just going to jump in and ridicule some of it <laughs> as we and ask what the hell is going as on. we go and this episode might come across as a bit silly but that's because the creation myth is very silly and it's it's good fun yes yes it is okay so boom 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 um okay so uh, first of all the story in, uh, where Snurder Sturdison relates the creation of the world and a lot of other things is this section of, of Etta called Gilvakinning, which is essentially a story about a Swedish king who is stupid enough to get fooled by uh, these dudes from Turkey who uh, claim that they're gods. <laughs> okay, this is where we start. And he's then asking questions to these three dudes from Turkey Haur, Jakenhaur, and Fridi, which means the high one, the justice high, and the third guy, which is also just kind of weird naming. I don't know. It feels lazy. It. Right? It does feel lazy. And they are like, okay, they, they have like prepared um, like these magical visions for him as he's like traveling towards them. They, they know that he's coming. And so in order to, to really trick him, uh, they they've like made it look like they live in this cool castle and and all kinds of funky stuff. And so they're sitting there, and then he comes and he asks all of these questions. And he starts by asking like, who's the highest of all the ancient gods, and who's the highest and most ancient of all the gods? And then they begin talking about somebody who lives through all the ages and uh, blah 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 and so on. Um, and then. Uh, they say he made heaven and earth and the skies and everything in them, right? Who does this sound like to you? Digbyer? Yes, exactly. Digbyer, <laughs> also known as God. God. Right? Yes, in a Christian context, right? And that is exactly what's... Um, there is a lot of that, that I, when I was reading it, there was a lot that kind of popped up that was very much felt Christian... If there was mm-hmm. one in particular that he said that and I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, there was like spot on for what I used to hear in Sunday school. Yep. And this is because Snuddy is riffing off of his own Sunday school here. Um, so he says, he made heaven and earth and the skies and everything in them, then spoke third or three. Um, but his greatest work is that he made man and gave him a soul that shall live and never perish, uh, though the body decay to dust or burn to ashes. And all men who are righteous shall live and dwell with him uh, himself in the place called Gimlie or Vingölver. But wicked men go to hell and on to Nippelhell. 
that is down in the ninth world. Then spoke mm. Ganglarin. What was he doing before heaven and earth were made? Then Hai replied, Then he was among the frost giants. Ganglarin spoke, What was the beginning? And how did things start? And what was there before? Hai replied, As it says in the prophecy of the CRS, or Virtuspell, it was in the beginning of time when nothing was. Sand was not, nor sea, nor cool waves. Earth did not exist, nor heaven on high. The mighty gap was, but no growth. This is Anthony Fox's translation of the stanza that I just wrote, uh, read in uh, Caroline Larrington's version, right? Just before, being told, he's basically quoting stanza three of the prophecy of Osiris. Okay. Then spoke just as high. It was many ages before the earth was created that Nippelheim was made, and in its mists, midst uh, lies a spring called Kvergelmir, and from it flow the rivers called Svöl, Gunfrau, Fjörn, Fimbelfjöl, Slider, and Hrider, Silger, and Ulger, Vider, Lekter, Jötl, is next to Hellgates. He likes, uh, well, that's the one thing I noticed, is he likes to list names. You know, he's just riffing off of stuff that he's read if, here in this context. I'm, pre uh, I'm pretty sure that comes from Kurimis Mal again. Like, he's just like, use, reusing material that he's read in other poetry. Then um, spoke third. But first, there was the world in the southern region called Muspek. It is bright and hot. That area is flaming and burning, and it is impassable for those that are foreigners there and are not native to it. There is one called Surter that is stationed there at the frontier to defend the land. He has a flaming sword, and at the end of the world, he will go on, go and wage war and def defeat all the gods and burn the whole world with fire. Thus, it says in the prophecy of the Cirrus. Surta travels from the south with the stick throw a destroyer that would be fire, uh, shines from his sword the sun of the gods of the slain. Rocks, cliffs crash, and troll wives are abroad. Heroes tread the road of hell, and heaven splits asunder. Um, this is stanza 51 of the prophecy of the seers that Snorri then takes and then adds to the beginning of, of his creation myth, right? So he's just taken stanza three, and now he's adding stanza 51 from a narrative that is entirely different, right? Okay. So as you can see here, what he's basically doing is that he's cherry-picking the content of the prophecy of the Cirrus to create his own story about the creation of, of the world. Mm -hmm. And he has just told us that there is a realm called Nippelheimer and a realm called Muspelsheimer. Mm -hmm. Nippelheimer is cold and has these rivers running out of it. Muspelheimer is full of fire. What he is doing here is that he is essentially uh, going along with um, Neoplatonic uh, philosophy. The idea like, that, that there must be hot and cold uh, for the world to be created. You know, the elements. Okay, then he goes on. Gangler spoke. 
what were things like before generations came to be and the human race was multiplied? Then spoke high. These rivers, which are called Yelibaugar, uh, when they had got so far from their source, she's fl flowing out of Nippenheimer, right? Um, uh, that the poisonous flow that uh, accompanied them began to go hard like the clinker that comes from a furnace, it turned to ice. And when this ice came to a halt and stopped flowing, the vapor that was rising from the poison froze on the top in the same direction and turned to ice. And this rime increased layer upon layer right across Kinungaga. Then spoke just as high. Kinungaga, the part that faces in a northerly direction was filled with the weight and heaviness of ice and rime, and there was vapor and a blowing inwards from it. But the southerly part of Kinungagap cleared up in the face of the sparks and molten particles that came flying out of the world of Muspet. Then spoke third, just as from Nippelheim there rose coldness and all things grim, so what was facing close to Muspet was hot and bright, but Kinugagap was mild as a winter sky. And when the rime and the blowing of the warmth met so that it thawed and dripped, there was a quickening from these blowing drops due to the power of the source of the heat. And it became the form of a man. And he was given the name Ymir. But the frost giants call him Urgelmir. And from him are descended the generations of frost giants. Ooh, those pesky frost giants. Right. It feels like the whole thing is just he's just struggling to, to make it make sense. Like each bit's just it's just barely hanging on and keeping it together. Um and just really right. trying to even even you reading it, and I'm sure you've read this hundreds of times. I've written a dissertation about this. <laughs> that, and even, but even you reading it, it feels like you're you're stru not struggling to not struggling to read, but like to struggling make sense of it. Yeah, struggling to make sense of it. Even now, just putting the words together, you're even questioning what you're reading, even though you've read it that many times. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's so ridiculously convoluted. And also, how does it make sense that the world of Nippelheimer is like cold and full of frost and so on, but they're like rivers flowing out of it that then crust over and become like ice when they leave that world. That doesn't make any sense. I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that, and that is exactly what I wrote my dissertation on. Because this is, if you ask me, an image of lava flowing from a source, um, possibly under a glacier. And okay. this is this is something that Snorri Sturluson could have seen in his, in his lifetime. There were a couple of uh, volcanic eruptions around the time that that he lived, um, and this is also something that Icelanders were, of course, familiar with. Every generation in Iceland has experienced a volcanic eruption, mm -hmm. so it's not impossible that that this is actually a reference to that. And the use of like words like ice and, and frost and so on is because the Icelandic vocabulary lacks any accuracy when it comes to volcanic 
uh, activity. They they had they didn't even really have a word for volcano. Um, okay. So 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 that's actually that's actually meaningful in that sense, right? But he has like this idea of the world which is based firmly on medieval cosmology, so Christian medieval cosmology. The world is like a disk with, with cold up top and hot below, right? Um, and cold defines the edges of Europe, uh, which is, you know, actual realizations that they have had going north, right? Um, whereas hot defines the edges of Africa, um, to the extent that Europeans were familiar with the African continent, they're of course familiar with the fact that Sahara is fucking hot, right? And there's no indications that they knew much about what was beyond Sahara, but they did know that Sahara existed. Uh, so, so, so they, so there's a natural right in in that world view to be like, oh, it's cold that way and hot that way. So that means that we're our nice climate here in, for instance, Rome is stuck between the two extremes of like ice up north and very, very hot weather down south. Mm-hmm. So this is what Snodistotus is ripping off of, his knowledge of classical literature and medieval literature in Latin. And he tries to make sense of, of what he knows from Nordic mythology in that context. He does also say heaven and hell quite early on. Mm-hmm. And you get people who, who uh, we've both spoken to, and I've seen your conversations, of people being like, yeah, Snorri's not influenced by Christianity. Like, some people genuinely think that he's not, but then mm-hmm. he clearly says, yeah, heaven and hell, bad people go to, he says bad people go to, to hell. Mm-hmm. And you know, to those people, I would just you know read the first two words of his book that start the prologue to Etta, which are "Almighty God." Uh, do we need? Do we need to keep going? <laughs> Come on! If you think the story was not influenced by Christianity, just start with page one. Almighty God created heaven and earth and all things in them, and lastly, two humans from whom generations are descended, Adam and Eve, and their stock multiplied and spread all over all the world. But as time passed, mankind became diverse. Some were good and orthodox in faith, but many more turned aside to follow the lusts of the world and neglected God's commandments. And so God drowned the world in a flood. There's even the flood is referenced okay it's like he starts with biblical history anybody who claims oh he was not a like he had nothing to do with christianity or he was seeking pagan blah 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 does not know what they're talking about because he gives us all the christian history first and then he tells us and explains how all of this nordic mythology came about as a bunch of people who essentially had forgot the name of god had forgotten true faith and started misunderstanding how the world functioned. And that's that's the explanations that he's been giving us in the creation myth. So that's his position. And this is also why he's trying from a Christian perspective, that's all he's doing, trying from a Christian medieval perspective to make sense of Nordic mythology. Mm-hmm. So he has these poems, he's read the prophecy of the CRS, 
read that that creation myth. He's read the, the Grimnia sayings, read that creation myth. He's read Vathrunia sayings and read the same reference to creation myth to, uh, that is similar to that one in Grimnia sayings there. And then he's like synthesizing all of this with, you know, the, 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 the banner, this needs to look like Christianity. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I can sympathize with why people find it frustrating that it's so influenced by Christianity and maybe even like try to die because you get into pagan. I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it um, without upsetting anyone, I guess. <laughs> but fuck it so i think people get people get very obsessive over this and don't read maybe the the source material um and they won't have actually read snorri's edit they will just read snippets online and there is very much this christian bashing um kind of thing that goes on in you have to take on take a second to look in any facebook group of people who are very much on that entry level into this community have come through from tv shows and which i i was amongst that at some point until i kind of started doing this and and the podcast but on that kind of entry level who who only have time to read certain bits and and have a a, only dip their toes into this world and there's very much that christian bashing thing but they also then know that most of what we know about the mythology comes from Snorri's Edda. But then someone comes along and says, oh, by the way, that thing that for the thing that you like, that you bash Christianity for, that actually is written by a Christian and has a lot of Christian influences in it. You can see why for the people who are kind of on the fringe and don't have a deeper understanding, just go, huh? What? That can't be true. And, and, dig their heels in so you can kind of understand why that would happen but you as soon as like i hadn't read it until till a few weeks ago when you were like read it i was like okay um and then as after, soon as I, after two years of doing this podcast <laughs> and then as soon as as soon as i read it i messaged it i'm like how can anybody say that this isn't influenced by christ and your and your reply was because they haven't read it and i think that's the, the case for so many people um unfortunately but it's also so so it's not there's a couple of things to say here first of all if you come from a standard uh christian cultural background in europe or north america or something like that i mean you're you're going to be blind to many of the things that are uh, like obviously christian in the material too because you it, it will just resonate with you based off of the fact that you've grown up in a christian culture um it takes a lot of skill and learning to be able to look beyond that layer of christianity that is in this material and actually be able to distinguish what is what could be not what is but what could be a sort of like original pre-christian element and what is a Christian interpretation by a medieval author who's trying to make sense of this, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is, of course, wishful thinking. People who uh, get into this and, you know, those Christian bashing and so on, but people who are uh, on their way to establishing an identity that, for instance, rejects elements of the Christian culture that they come from, 
um, which can be a very healthy thing to do. They will, of course, then also have like a negative view of Christianity. And that is also, you know, making decisions based off of not liking something is always a path to doing it wrong. You know, that's not why you would want to do it, right? That's not why you would want to criticize the, the Christian content of this material just because it's Christian. No, you want to uh, criticize the Christian content of this material to understand what did people actually believe in? What did they actually think prior to the introduction of Christianity in Scandinavia? I think that's a good point. I think that's probably where a lot of people fall down is that they they hear you say, oh, he's a Christian writing in a Christian country influenced by Christianity. And they go, so they, they get offended and think that you're just saying it's all bullshit, it's all Christian. Um, and it's not, all you're saying is that you need to be objective in your reading of it and keep that in mind so then you can better understand what pre-christian people thought mm -hmm. um but people just get super like... tetchy and go yeah. oh no you're saying it's all christian fuck you and it's like, <laughs> exactly. no that's not the point no that's not the point and also like you know it, like it, it would be easy to then like get this idea that snurry was some kind of like uh, uh some 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 dude sitting there like laughing with an evil laughter while he was writing all this haha i'm gonna turn all this pagan stuff into to christianity but that's not what he was doing either i'm sure he was just trying to make sense of it all right and he grew up in a world where everything was defined by by christian teaching he if it were was him who wrote this he was a very well educated and intelligent man who had managed to be become that without actually being part of church clergy keep that in mind he was not he did not receive a formal church education he just received the type of education that a high-ranking mem elite member of Icelandic society would uh, receive at that time right so he had access to a bunch of books that came from Italy France England Germany Greece, you know, and translations of that in particular. And that's what he has then used to try to make sense of the indigenous material that was circulating both orally and in literary texts in his time. Mm -hmm. he, when he went to parties, right, um, at the General Assembly, right, for instance, there would be somebody who would recite, probably, recite the prophecy of Cyrus in some kind of entertainment contest. They're all sitting there drinking and then they will hear this ancient poem from our ancestors, right? And Snurri was then the guy who was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me write that down in some kind of context and try to make sense of that, right? So that makes him a pretty cool dude, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's, a, that's a cool intellectual pursuit to, to be like, uh, to be that guy who's like, oh, wow, this, this is really fascinating ancient material. Let me try to put that into a book and, and make it accessible to other people. He's a fucking hero for that. Um, because that's why we have this material today, right? <laughs> that's why we consider bigger about it. I want to attach another thing to this is like people misunderstanding the content of, of, of his book and assuming that it's pagan. This is also because popular presentations of this material take it out of its context. So for instance, if you pick up a book 
from from like Barnes and Nobles or something like that um, on Nordic mythology or Old Norse mythology. Um, it will have the creation myth in there, but it will not have the bit that has to do with Christianity. Mm-hmm. It'll just tell you about how there were these like Niflheimer and Muspelheimer and this cow that came in the middle of everything and Emia and then okay, the, the yeah. right. So people people are in that sense fooled by the presentation of the material, and that's probably how most people have seen it. They haven't read like the actual actual translation of it um they've just picked up bits within books on a general norse mythology mm-hmm. that they've that they've read they haven't sat and actually looked at the the source material um and also published picked up on websites because a bunch of websites out there that you can read it but again it's kind of shortened down and it removes the the christian bits and just gives you this nice because it's a fun story it's a better it's a better story all the craziness um it's a it's a fun time so you can see why they choose to have that bit in and and if they don't have that deeper understanding they they don't see they don't see that what they what they're doing is wrong they just kind of go oh this stuff's cool let's put this in the book um the thing is also you have to keep in mind that this material is about 800 years old right that that means that it did you've already heard bits and pieces of it right i have to explain a lot of it mm-hmm. to to make it accessible to our modern ears because it doesn't just make sense right mm-hmm. you also have to keep in mind that to him it didn't just make sense he also had to like had taken through several uh rounds of interpretation to 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 understand the context and meaning of all of this right these are important aspects right because what happens then when a modern author like me, for instance, tries to make this popularly available in books. Well, go read, go go take my Old Norse Mythology for Kids book and sit down and read that next to Snorisetta and Eric Poems. And then you'll see that I have changed a lot things and move stuff around and given different names of different things and so on because a lot of it is you know not just easily accessible in the, the way that it was originally written mm-hmm. so so any any author will have to do that to some extent right they'll have to find a way to present this material in a digest digestible way to a modern audience without and and then you have then you have the question like how how much can I change it how much should I change it and on what grounds should I change it you know so it becomes a very complicated question from there. It's all I mean it's all very complicated. Uh, everybody's giving me shit for like uh, <laughs> plugging my book on my own podcast, <laughs> guys. I don't even get royalties from that book, so I don't get it paid. So there plug you it. Go. <laughs> go buy go buy it from hansvoting.com. We stuck it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> he doesn't I'll, pay me anything for it anyway. <laughs> I'll, I'll plug it. He gets nothing, but I do. So um no, we have we have both your books. You have the house true book as well. Uh before we move on from Snorri, because I do want to get through the creation myth and we keep getting distracted. Um Jim said, and this is this is one argument I see time and time again when it comes to Snorri, and it's and it's still holding Snorri up as like this pagan hero. 
and it's like, well, what if he had to put the Christian stuff in to sneak it past the Christian overlords who were checking the book um, to preserve the the pre-Christian myths? It's like you, he he hid it within the Christian material um, and kind of ticked the box of being a good Christian boy, but all along his he wanted to get the the pre-Christian stuff through. Um, is that possible? Was Snorri doing that? Let me just let me just read to you what Snorri Sturluson expresses of his own opinion on this material in chapter 58-1, epilogue in Skalskapamal, so the next section. He goes, but these things have now to be told to young poets who desire to learn the language of poetry and to furnish themselves with a wide vocabulary using traditional terms or else they desire to be able to understand what is expressed obscurely. He's talking about the poetry here. Then let such a one take this book as scholarly inquiry and entertainment. But these stories are not to be consigned to oblivion or demonstrated to be false, so as to deprive poetry of ancient kennings, which major poets have been happy to use. Yet, Christian people must not believe in heathen gods, nor in the truth of this account in any other way than that in which it is presented at the beginning of this book, where it is told what happened when mankind went astray from the true faith. And after that, about the Turks, how the people of Asia, known as the Aesir, that's the gods, right? Distorted the accounts of the events that took place in Troy so that the people of the country would believe that they were gods. He is very, very clear about his position. That feels like at the start of a TV show when it says this is uh, <laughs> for entertainment purposes only. Yeah, that is exactly what it is. He is that is exactly what he's saying. This is for entertainment purposes only. I have explained to you how these stories came to be. They're essentially misunderstandings that people have believed in, which were deliberately created by the Aesir, who are the people who come from Asia, Turkey, uh, where Troy is, where they have basically used the story about Troy to fashion all these myths. That's what he's saying. And that's that that's what he definitely believed it was. He is he's he's very clear on that. He, he was not he was not trying to mask paganism and 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 like bring it on for posterity. He was trying to make uh pagan poetry accessible to Christians. And he was a Christian himself. Definitely. There we go. Should we get back to the to the craziness? Because we have some fun stuff to get yes. through. Yes. And also, um, Shan, make a note that for entertainment purposes only should be the title of the episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to skip some quotes um, that, that are a little too complicated. And then we go to, then spoke Gangleri. How did generations grow from him? That's Emir, of course. And how did it come about that other people came into being? Or do you believe him to be a god whom you had just spoken of? Then High replied, 
Not at all do we acknowledge him to be a god. He was evil and all his descendants. We're still talking about Emir here. We call them frost giants. And it is said that when he slept, he sweated. Then there grew under his left arm a male and a female. And one of his legs begot a son with the other. And descendants came from them. These are frost giants. The ancient frost giants, him we call Emir. Then spoke Gangri. And also, by the way, this is one of the very few references to frost giants there are in, in Nordic mythology. Like, this is this, like, we, we, when we, for instance, watch a Marvel movie with Thor in it, and it's like frost giants everywhere. And it's like, that's not the mythology, though. The mythology is very scant when it comes to frost giants. Yeah, but frost giants make for cool TV, though. It does. They do sound cool. Anyway, then spoke on Where did Emir live and what did he live on? The next thing, when the rhyme dripped, was that there came into being from it a cow called Uthumla. And four rivers of milk flowed from her teats, and it fed Emir. Then spoke Gangleri, what did the cow feed on? Hai said, it licked the rhinestones, which were salty. And the first day, it, uh, as it licked stones, there came from the stones in the evening a man's hair. The second day, a man's head. The third day, there was a complete man there. His name was Buri. And he was beautiful in appearance, big and powerful. He begot a son called Bor. He married a wife called Bestla, daughter of the giant Bulthurt. All right, and let's let they let's, had three sons. Let's <laughs> let's go back a minute because there's some stuff going on there. Yep. So <laughs> where do we start? Um okay, the cow. <laughs> yes. Why why a cow? Like it feels like why a, not, man. <laughs> like, but, but, okay, so there's a couple of sort of like socio-historical explanation for the cow. One is that uh, cattle and the cow in an Icelandic context would be a pretty sort of um, uh, high-status animal. So yeah. so that might be the reason that, that it's not a goat. But it could also just be something Snurdy pulled out of his ass. The okay, the, the sucking of the teat. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's any relation to like babies breastfeeding? Well, I mean, um, obviously, there's there's like that idea that, um, yeah, that's that there's uh, yeah, that that is, of course, yeah, breastfeeding is, is, of course, part of it, right? Any any uh, infant animal uh, or mammal, right? um could have been uh, could be the inspiration here but the point the point is that you know there are there's plenty of stories like that out there right and usually um usually the it is because the particular animal that is chosen in in the particular context of creating such a myth um has a high status in society right mm -hmm. it's fair to say that a cow back 800 years ago would not resemble what a cow is today well a cow back then would mean like if you had a cow you were wealthy right 
you had a lot of cows, you were very wealthy. Well, I, I just meant like physically, I, the, the cow probably would have been a lot different. It would have been more like a wild cow rather than the nice little dairy cows that we have in the field. I'm sure they would have been completely different. Not completely different, but a little, little different, yeah. But but still, though, I mean, I think I think that, that the reason for 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 that being a prevalent image is because it's it's a high status animal. You have to have a lot of grass for for one of those, and you have to have sheds and you know the ability to to harvest hay for it, so that you can keep it fed through the winter in a very cold place like Iceland. So that that would be something that could yeah. I love how I love how I'm sticking. My sticking point is the cow and not the fact the cow licked a salt lick into a human. So that's the next po- uh, question we have <laughs> I feel to like, ask like the cow is the issue in that sentence. Not <laughs> not the not I'm licking a human to life. Yeah. Yeah, I can't explain that part though. <laughs> so um, that's that's bonk. I mean, I guess it does explain where Emir's children come from. His um, armpits. No, I I thought well, who I thought that's who the cow licked into existence. No, so 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 Emir, he's. Uh, he's creating the frost giants from his armpits uh, and um, between his legs. Uh, but does... <laughs> like his legs are like having sex with each other. It, it's really weird. It says, uh, blah, blah, blah. Then there grew under his left arm a male and a female, and one of his legs begot a son with the other. Oh, uh, no, you're spoiling it. We, need to, we haven't got to that bit yet. Yeah, we did. I just did that, I? that was before the other things. Did I miss that? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So, so, so the, what we what is happening here is that you have Emia creating a line, a generation of beings, right, from his own body. Then you have the cow that is licking these salty rocks that then create that there's a there's apparently a human caught in that, and but doesn't isn't the, the the person who's created by the the cow licks? Isn't that is it Bor Bor? Bor, yeah. Bor, Bor. But doesn't Bor. Bor, 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 I'm sure his name is Bori. Bori, a Bori. You make noises with your mouth that my mouth can't do. <laughs> I can't make those noises. It's not fair. <laughs> uh, um, okay, but isn't doesn't uh, the 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 series say that that's Emir's son, Boris. No, no, no. We don't know where he comes from in 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 the prophecy of the series. Oh, I thought in the prophecy of the series, they they said that that was his son. That's my. She she says that the sons of Bor create Midgard. Oh, okay, okay. Right. And this is just, it's, it's not a uh, parrot stat. He says, right? Uh, so, so, so he says the guy who comes from the from the salty rocks. That's Buri. He was beautiful in appearance, big and powerful. He begot a son called Bor. That's the same, presumably, as the guy who's right. Who's okay, dad of the Bor sons. Okay. And this is so what. He, 
So none of the humans are actually descendant from Emir. No. Well, so humans aren't even part of this yet. Okay. Well. Well. Yeah. Well, humans. I was just thinking like God figures. Like. Okay. Yeah. Like, so. So what happens next is that Bor marries Bestla, daughter of Bulthor, right? And that's a giant. Bulthor is a giant, and he must be descendant of Emir. But we don't actually know. It's not like directly stated that he descended from Emir. We're just assuming this. Okay, blah, 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 blah. And then Bestla and Bor, they have three sons. One was called Odin, second Vili, and the third Vie. And that's, that's when we get to the gods' gods, so to speak. And they are, according to Snorri, the sons of Bor. That's, of course, not what we're told in the prophecy of the Cirrus. We don't know who the sons of Bor are there. Okay. We just kind of assume that they're the same. Mm. The sons of Bor could also be more than three in the prophecy of the series. There are no numbers attached to them here. We learned that there are three here, though. And then he says, or uh, this is High who says this, and it is my belief that this Odin and his brothers must be the rulers of heaven and earth. It is our opinion that this must be what he is called. This is the name of the one who is greatest and most glorious that we know, and you would do well to agree to call him that too. This right here is sort of like heretical Christianity because we have a trinity that they're talking about that they believe in as the highest being. Mm -hmm. Like this is a reference to the trinity. Yeah. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Um, now, where did Snorri get the names from? He probably got them from, from stories that he had heard um, at some point. Odin, Vili, and Vie. So there's a lot to be said about like that trinity of, of male creator gods that does exist in previous Germanic history. Tacitus has three as well. They are also from a... Uh, figure who is generated from a figure who comes from the, the ground, from the from the mm -hmm. earth, the earthborn twisto, which is similar to this Buri figure, right? Okay. So there there is there is something to be said for a, a very deep history to this particular bit that he's talking about here. Mm -hmm. um, but he has his own version of it, and again, that is a very Christian interpretation. Um. So yeah, and then we get to the part where they kill Emir. He says, <laughs> "This is the best bit, obviously." Yeah. Then Ganglary, uh, then spoke Ganglary. How did they get on together? Which group was the more powerful? Then High replied, "Bor's sons killed the giant Emir, and when he fell, so much blood flowed from his wounds that with it they drowned all the race of frost giants except the one escape that one." except that one escaped with his household. Giants call him Bergelmir. He went up on his ark. This, I remember this. I remember <laughs> with, this. With his wife and was preserved there. And from them are descended the families of frost giants, as it says here. And then he quotes Vathunia's sayings. And he's, the, the quote, quote goes, countless winters before the earth was created, then was Bergelmir born. That is the first I remember when that wise giant was laid in a box. 
And here's, so this is where Snurri does something very nifty. He literally interprets the word box as ark so that he can refashion this drowning of the frost giants as the first flood, Noah's flood. And Bergelmir is the giant version of, of Noah. He's, so, he's sneaky. He's, he's very sneaky. Boy. He's very sneaky. <laughs> so, 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 so again, he takes he takes he takes a, a stanza from a poem. He refashions that stanza so that it fits into universal Christian history, and that's how you get a quote unquote flood in Nordic mythology. And then he goes on. Then Gangler replied, "What did Bor's sons do then? If you believe that they are gods." See, now he's getting like, skeptical. You believe these guys are gods? What, mm -hmm. What's going on here? And he goes, Hi said, there is not just a little to be told about them. They took Emia and transported him to the middle of Genungagat, and out of him made the earth, out of his blood, the sea, and the lakes. The earth was made of the flesh and the rocks of the bones. Stone and scree they made out of the teeth and molars and of the bones that had been broken. Then spoke just as high. Out of the blood that came from his wounds and was flowing unconfined, out of this they made the sea with which that they encompassed and contained the earth, and they placed this sea in a circle round the outside of it, and it will seem as seem an impossibility to most to get across it. What he's basically describing here is sort of like the gory horror version of those medieval flat earth maps with, with a sea encircling, encircling mm -hmm. everything. Then spoke third. They also took his skull and made out of it the sky and set it up uh, over the earth with four points. And under each corner, they set a dwarf. Their names are Östri, Vestri, Nordri, Sidri. Then they took molten particles and sparks that were flying uncontrolled and had shot out of the world of Muspet and set them in the middle of the firmament of the sky, both above and below, to illuminate heaven and earth. They fixed all the lights, some in the sky, some moved in a wandering course beneath the sky, but they appointed them positions and ordained their courses. Um, thus it is said in ancient sources that by means of them, uh, days were distinguished, and also the count of, day, of years, as it says in the Prophecy of the Sirius. And then he quotes... Uh, the stanza that I read about how the gods um, or how the sun and the moon didn't know where the dwelling was and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So what, what he's doing here is that he's riffing off of that description that I read earlier from the from Grimnia's sayings about creating the world from the body of the giant Emir. And then he, he takes that stanza from the prophecy of Cyrus and adds that to it. And then he go, goes on um, like this. That is what uh, it was like above the earth before this took place. Then spoke Gangleri. This is important information that I have just heard. That is an amazingly large construction and skillfully made. How was earth arranged? Then High replied, it is circular around the edge and around it lies the deep sea. And along the shore of this sea, they gave lands to live into the races of giants. But on the earth, they made a fortification round the world against the hostility of giants. 
And for this fortica fortification, they used giant emir's eyelashes and they <laughs> called the fortification Midgard. They also took his brains and threw them into the sky and made out of them the clouds, as it says here. And then he quotes Grimnir's sayings that I read to you earlier. So in that, it sounds like he's saying Midgard is the name of the fortification, not the place safe from the fortification. Yep. And that's what he's saying now. This, so two things. When he says uh, about the world, it is circular around the edge and around it lies the deep sea. He's literally like describing what a medieval map looks like. And then when he starts talking about that Midgard fortification, he's literally describing what an Icelandic farms look looks like. That that, that <laughs> Icelandic farms will have that you know little uh, um, fence around. Okay. Know, and and you know his own little castle in in Borkafjordur, uh would have had, you know that as well. Like, the ver the vertical. Of, yeah, rampart really would have been around his 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 little castle mm -hmm. um in bork yeah so it's just like the the vertical sticks all next next to each other with like a a cross part holding them together to make a, a fence panel type thing i guess yeah even taller um with like dirt uh, piled up on the back side of it so that you have a vertical um exterior mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. That that you can you know you can defend yourself from there, right? Okay. So 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 that's that's what really what he's describing here. He's he's describing his own little home. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, okay. and, and to an Icelander, this also makes sense, right? Because Iceland itself uh, is is you know a a, a, a landmass with an encircling sea, right? And you know mm -hmm. that if you sail north, it's going to get really cold, and if you sail south, it's going to get hot at some point. Mm -hmm. If you're learning at least. And so this all makes perfectly sense to, to a guy like him. So what about Midgard being the actual fence, though? Is that that's obviously, his interpretation? Okay. Because that's what I mean. So obviously to everybody that, that listens to this, it's like Midgard is the place where mm -hmm. we all live. Mm -hmm. So so um we know that the word Midgard is very old. It, it, it existed in Scandinavian culture long before Viking Age. Um, there are references to Midgard in, on runestones too. So this is, like a, this is what they did call the world. And okay. this is probably a Germanic translation of, um, of, of, uh, of Greek and Latin references to the world. And you know the idea of, of of the world being being a place that is centered with an ocean around it uh, goes far beyond Christianity. That this was how you also saw um, Greeks and Roman representing the world on maps, mm -hmm. um, in to very to varying degrees of like detail and such things. And so 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 this this was probably how people in you know, you know those Germanic tribes in the three hundreds and fours, They probably also saw the world like that. Okay. And and so 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 this that's inconspicuous. But Snorri is translating it to his own Icelandic context to sort of like say this is this is what it looks like. And you know what? A Norwegian probably has seen it would have seen it differently, and a Swede for that matter, or a Dane. 
Um, so, so that that's another thing to keep in mind here. That like this is not a this does not represent how other Scandinavians would have seen their world. They probably thought of it very differently. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, and then by the way, he goes on uh, to talk about the creation of the of humans, right? Because that's the next thing that happens. Um, then spoke Ganglery. A great deal, it seems to me, they had achieved when earth and heaven were made and sun and stars were put in position and days were separated. And where did the people come from who inhabit the world? Then Hyde replied, as both sons walked along the seashore, they came across two logs and created people from them. The first uh, gave breath and life, the second consciousness and movement, the third a face speech and hearing and sight. They gave him clothes and names. The man was called Asker, the woman Embla, and from them were produced the mankind uh, to whom the dwelling place under Midgard was given. After that, they made themselves a city in the middle of the world, which is known as Asgard. We call it Troy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Again, here, what he's using is stances 17 and 18, if I remember correctly, of the Prophecy of the Seeress, where he is reinterpreting some wording in there. Uh, the Prophecy of the Seeress tells us that humans were created uh, in the following manner. Um, blah, 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 blah. Until three gods, strong and loving, came from out of that company, that's presumably the the Aesir that we're referring to here, they found on land capable of little, Ash, Asker, and Embla lacking in fate. Breath they had not, spirit they had not, blood nor bearing nor fresh complexions. Breath gave Odin, spirit gave, gave Hainir, blood, blood gave Lodur, and fresh complexions. Boom. So this is like Snurri is... is reinterpreting aspects of this these two stances one he talks about the sons of Bor. this these stances talk about Odin, Heine and Lodur which I'm, we don't know if they're the sons of Bor or what they are um, he tells us that they find humans as logs on the shore um, so anybody who has lived on a North Atlantic uh, shore will know that logs will will drift onto it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what he's referring to here. And like that's what he has seen. And, and then he says that the gods turned those into humans. And that's how humanity was created. That's not what, what this, this text is saying, though, in, in the prophecy of Cirrus. Mm-hmm. They're just talking about that they found Oscar uh, and Embla on land, whatever that means. And we don't know if they were trees or they were actually humans, but the context actually seems like, um, because just before these two stances, we hear about the creation of all dwarfs, right? And the dwarfs are described as manliki, so so in, in the image of humans. So it might actually be that the these these Oscar and Embla in the prophecy of Cirrus, they come from dwarves. So that means that we we're all dwarves. I mean, that could be said about me anyway. 
Oh, we we did mention about me being called Gimli in the Rue Tolkien <laughs> episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it just all seems incredibly complicated. Okay, so I just want to I just want to attach one little detail uh, or one comment to this aspect of like Troy because people are like, why why is why does he keep ranting about Troy? <laughs> so Troy was in. Um, medieval European history, like the legendary place where everybody came from. This goes all the way back to the Romans, right? We have Virgil's um, Aenid, or whatever you call it in English, um, wh- wh- where we get this origin of Rome, which is, you know, a an, a, a spinoff on Troy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, Re- Romulus and Remus's mother. Uh, she she, she, she fled from Troy, and that's 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 how Rome was founded. So, so Rome. Th- this is because Troy is the most, as in terms of like European mythology, the most uh, awesome legendary city that was ever built, right? Okay. Um, and that's why the Romans wanted to associate with it. And then you get very spin-off versions of that story later on when the Franks establish uh, the the Frankish kingdom in what is now the Rhineland, Belgium, northern France, and and parts of Germany, right? Um, they also say that they descend from Troy. And you see other European royal houses promoting that same idea. And this is exactly what the Scandinavians didn't latch on to. They're like, oh, yeah, we also come from Troy. Mm-hmm. And that's why, because Odin, right? He is in uh, Scandinavian history the the ancestral god of of various kings, right, and various royal houses, the dynasties. So it makes sense that the Christian version of that story would be that Odin is in fact just some dude, and that dude came from Troy, mm-hmm. and so this is what's happening in Snorri's Edda. He's, he's he gives us this description in the prologue, like so. He's really just uh, repeating what he says in the prologue, where he goes, Near the middle of the world was constructed that building and dwelling, which has been the most splendid ever, which was called Troy. We call the land there Turkey. This place was built much larger than others and with greater skill in many respects, using the wealth and resources available there. Twelve kingdoms were there and one high king, and many countries were subject to each kingdom. In the city, there were twelve chief languages. The twelve rulers of the kingdoms were superior to other people who have lived in the world and in all human qualities. Blah, 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 long, weird like ancestry where Thor is actually the, the like some ancestor to Odin and then Odin is some ancestor to himself, blah, blah, blah. Very confusing, really. And then we get to uh, Odin. He was an outstanding person for wisdom and all kinds of accomplishments. His wife was called Frigida, um, whom we call Frigg. Odin had the gift of prophecy, and so did his wife. And from this science, he discovered that his name would be remembered in the northern parts of the world and honored above all kings. For this reason, he became eager to set off from Turkey and took with him a very great following, young people and old, 
men and women, and they took with them many precious things. And whatever countries they passed through, great glory was spoken of them, so that they seemed more like gods than men. There you go. And they did not halt their journey until they came north to the country that is now called Saxony. Um, Odin stayed there a long while and gained possessions of large parts of that land. There, Odin put in charge of the country three of his sons. One's name was Vekdek. He was a powerful king and ruler over East Saxony. His son was Vitergitz. Uh, his sons were Vita, and then he got, got like this long descendancy, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes on. Um, Odin's third sons were Siki, his son Reria. This dynasty ruled over what is now called France. And from it is uh, from it is descended the family called the Versons. Oops. Mm -hmm. From all these people, great family lines are descended. Then Odin set off north and came to a country that they called Hrethgotaland. That's where I'm from. That's Jutland. And gained possession of all wished in that land. He set over the area a son who, uh, sorry, a son of his called Skjöldr. His son was called Friedreib. From them is descended the family called the Skjöldoms. They are kings of Denmark. And what was then called Hrethgotaland is now called Jutland. After that, Oh, they went north to what is now called Sweden. There was a blah, blah, blah. And then he, you know, they, he just ends up like becoming like the grandfather of royal houses from like Germany all the way to Iceland. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what all of this is about. And, um, and it's, it's just to, you know, claim that the royal houses of Scandinavia have the same pedigree as the royal houses of the rest of Europe, right? Mm -hmm. oh, there we go. Should we should we wrap this up? <laughs> yes, let's do. I think Shan's uh, comment here saying that we're knee deep in two thousand eight hundred year old fan fiction is exactly what. <laughs> what this is I, all about <laughs> i just get more confused every time we speak about this stuff um, <laughs> but that, that's that's the good part about it yeah i mean so one thing that i'd say is that you know regardless of how you look at this the awesome thing is that there's so much like pre-christian cultural material that got to live on like you know the story of troy is also pre-christian cultural material that you know people after conversion recognize as as important cultural material to to maintain and retell in different ways and that's the fun part of all of this like did, did so much of this stuff is like is like has such a deep history and 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 so so like i wouldn't if anybody is like sitting out there being bummed out by the fact that, that it's all Christianity, it's not. It's it's you know it's it's a it, it, the the idea of separating between Christianity and not Christianity, you know, except for on certain theological aspects, it's also just not really that meaningful when it comes down to it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's yeah. It, it, it isn't that important. And just because somebody points out that it's Christian or at least Christian inspired doesn't mean that you're just shitting on all of it and saying it's all rubbish. It just means maybe take a moment to 
to look at it and take that in into consideration when when reading it. Um, yeah, and I like I, said, I enjoy these. I, the more confused I get, the the more I feel like I understand. And I just think I, you know I've said it so many times on this podcast that you just have to be comfortable in that we don't know everything and we, there's a lot we don't know and so much of it is just if buts maybes and you just have to learn to be comfortable in the fact that we just don't know absolutes and that's that's fine by me i i enjoy that i like that um and i like that then you can have conversations about what things may mean it's fun it's part of the enjoyment i think i think so too i mean this is i think this is exciting because it's like you know, it's a literary version of a Sherlock Holmes kind of like crime fiction. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're trying to find, figure out who's the culprit and, and where did it all go wrong? Those kinds of things, you know, and it's, it's, it's fun. It is. Absolutely. Okay. Um, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rain positive review wherever you get your podcast. Um, if you want to pause, Patreon is the, the best way we really do appreciate it. You can sign up for as little as buying one of us a cup of coffee and you're going to get a bonus episode every week. One is me and Mateus doing a Q&A um, episode where you can ask us any question. 99.9% of the questions are aimed at Mateus answering your que- the questions that the, the fans have about this stuff. You know, you may listen to the episodes and have a question. You're like, I wish I could ask an actual professor about this. There you go. You can ask Mateus if you uh, if you sign up to the Patreon. On the other bonus episode is our story time episode with Jonas Lorenzen, where we read through a saga. Um, yeah, and it's just a lot of good fun. It definitely is. So sign up. Absolutely. And then you can support us um, Instagram, Facebook, the Facebook uh, group, the YouTube channel is all under just Nordic Mythology Podcast. You can find on there. Please go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, anyway, I mean, anyway, even just telling a friend about the podcast, sharing it on your on your own Facebook page and, and you know, getting the word out there and telling people to listen is always beneficial to us if you can't support us on the Patreon. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it was fun. Oh, if you want to follow Matthias, Matthias Nordvig on Instagram, I'm... Daniel underscore fire and one on Instagram. And that's the show. That's the show. <laughs>